Welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Pakulski. Today, we have Christian Thibodeau joining us. If you don't know Christian, Christian is a longtime strength coach, hypertrophy expert, and all-around performance guru from Montreal, Canada, who joined me today to talk about his evolution as a coach, his evolution of his own training, and ultimately now how he shifted his focus to living his greatest life in a body that he absolutely loves with a focus now on feeling great, performing great, and ultimately living the longest that he can. Training is no longer his highest priority. I know for a lot of our listeners, we want to train, we want to look awesome, but we don't have hours and hours a day, and we aren't passionate necessarily about training. We just want to make the most of our time. So that sounds like an interesting topic for you. You're going to love the conversation with Christian. He's always got so much value to provide around his theories, around how neurotransmitters and personality ultimately should be considered when you look at how to choose your training, your nutrition, and your lifestyle. Today's podcast is brought to you by realmushrooms.com. Head over to realmushrooms.com slash Ben to get hooked up with 30% off all the highest quality mushrooms that exist anywhere. This is not micellated grain. You're paying for mushroom fruiting body, which is ultimately what you want. You're going to get hooked up with 30% off when you head over to realmushrooms.com slash Ben, whether it's reishi mushroom to improve your sleep, and your recovery, lion's mane to improve your brain, the five defenders to improve your immunity, tremella ultimately for so many incredible benefits, cordyceps mushroom, which is gonna be great for endurance and cardiovascular function. All of these mushrooms are a strong consideration to be added to your current health optimization routine. Thank you guys for joining me here for the podcast. Enjoy the show with Christian Thibodeau. Mr. Christian Thibodeau, welcome back, my friend. It's absolutely a, a privilege and an honor to welcome you back. Well, it's great to be back. I mean, I've been waiting for this for like two years. <laughs> I so. think we should just make a regular <laughs> regular uh, schedule, man. Do it every couple months. And I'm always thinking about pushing up performance. And I know you are. And so I'm really excited to pick your brain today on what your brain has been stewing on over the last two years since ultimately we chatted and ultimately you've been sitting at home a lot in, in uh, this, this COVID lockdown. So I'm curious what you've been brewing up. Well, it, it, quite a bit to be to be honest, because yeah. you know, as I'm getting older, uh, you know, the, the focus switches instinctively. I think, and with the kids, I think it's sped up the process to like living a quality life as you're getting older. I mean, uh, yeah, it's cool to be the biggest, strongest guy around. I've n- I've never been that guy. You've been, but you know, <laughs> I was decent. But you know, you, you have a change of mindset that you know what you're interested in more than that. I mean, you still want to look good. You still want to be healthy. You still want to function better. But it's all about improving quality of life and ideally lifespan also. You want to live longer. Because I had my kids like later in life. Like I was like, I'm 44 and I just had my youngest. So I'm, I, I'm not good at math, but you know, when she's going to be 20, I'm going to be 64. And, and I want to be around to see her succeed as an adult. Totally. That means I need to live and be functional at least until I'm 70. Yeah. So my own training and obviously research and experimentation has been geared toward how can I make uh, life better for me? How can I extend life while still getting most of what I want from the gym? Yeah. And obviously, that meant switching more toward a, a, a performance-based training more than just for hypertrophy yep. and, and including more energy systems work, a lot more walking. And strategies, because I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a hamster, right? I don't like to spend hours on treadmill. You've done that. You know how boring that is. But there are benefits in just moving around more. So I'm finding strategies to be able to move more without wanting to shoot myself. Man, but, so you, you and I are living the exact same life. I just came <laughs> back from a weekend in Montreal with our friend Paul Gagné, and I think he, he sets a very good example for what a man at 60 should look like. And and like that, to me, that's a great avatar to have. You know, he moves so well. He's so lean. He's so healthy. His aerobic conditioning is exceptional. And that's, to me, put a really good picture in my mind of what I would like to look like when I'm 60. I see him at 90 doing the exact same things, right? And so, you know, we could discuss what those strategies are for both of us. Because you said 70. You still want to be around at 70. Like, you know, you're going to be around longer than that. So it's, it's, it's optimizing your brain. Like, Paul literally gave me an image of what I want to look like when I'm 90. You know, I saw him at 60. I'm like, there's no slowing this guy down. He's just a machine. And at 70, 80, and 90, I'm sure he's been doing the same thing. So that really allowed me to paint that picture. The guy has so much energy, right? I mean, he is, yep. he is like a, just a, a lightning rod. And, yep. and I believe that, you know, you have to be healthy inside to be that way. 
because there is no way, there is no way your brain can be that lit up and be that energetic if you have something wrong inside of your body. Right? Oh, yeah. It's, so it's like the dark be- cloud versus the sunshine, right? Absolutely. You have a dark cloud looming over your thoughts and your mind all the time. There's no sunshine in your life. You always want to kind of be down and be gloomy. Absolutely. So he's a great example for sure. Man, I think you and I probably have a good discussion to have there is like, I don't know this, but I'm going to make this assumption. You can tell me if I'm wrong. At some point, maybe throughout your teenage years, your early 20s, that dark cloud was what drove you. I think sometimes a lot of guys who get really big and strong, there, there's something like looming inside of you. I always say like, I have a gear that no one else in the world can ever access because of that darkness that's inside mm-hmm. of me, right? And then now I learned to use that darkness as my friend. I see it as a tool rather than something that I'm trying to get away from. I know it's there, but I'm strong enough to not let it out. And I think that's what gives me my power. I'm curious if that's something that drove you in your early days. That's 100% right. Because, and, and I remember I was in, in, in California years ago and I was talking to T.C. Luova, was the editor of Muscle Media back then. Yep, yep. And we're talking about like most bodybuilders and fitness competitors, they all have like pretty dark past, like either like childhood issues, self-esteem problems, stuff like that. And I said, well, I, I'm the same way and I'm really trying to fix it. And he said, well, don't fix it no. because sometimes your demons are what okay. drives you if you can harness them. And it's funny you mentioned that because, well, funny. Uh, I had my uh, my father's funeral uh, this weekend, and my eulogy was all about exactly what you just mentioned. Because and me, I, I cannot say I had a bad childhood. My, my parents were great. I had friends, stuff like that. But my whole childhood was geared toward getting the approval of my father. Okay, mm. and and what I what, what I said is that you know my my older brother, like was such an amazing person like he's now a, he's a medical doctor now he was super smart super athletic successful with women uh, like great social skills you know all everything i didn't have uh, so when i was growing up i had this huge self-esteem issues because i felt well you know what my father's not gonna love me because i'm never gonna be enough because i'm not up to par with the standard that has been set before me and the thing is, your brain is very powerful. And that's the thing, right? The smarter you are, the harder your brain can work against you. Yeah. You, you, you have like the happy idiots, right? They, they, they don't actually understand what's going on. So, so they only stay at the first level. But the smarter you are, the more you are able to create those scenarios in your brain and inject emotions in them. And now you have an emotional load yeah. of a false scenario that actually pollute your whole uh, persona, your subconscious and everything. And now you start to see absolutely everything that's happening to you from that perspective. You have confirmation bias, right? So you know, I, I, I was not abused. I was not, I, but my main issue was that I had a deep, deep sense of insecurity, zero self-esteem. And I honestly believe that it, a large part of it is actually genetic due to my own brain chemistry because your brain chemistry will actually influence your personality. Uh, I'm actually seeing my, 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 uh, my oldest son, and he has the exact same personality that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm trying to like, steer it in the right direction. But anyway, so yeah, uh, basically I started training because I needed to feel respected. I wanted the approval of my father who was lifting weights, I want to be an athlete because my father loves football and stuff like that. I, I never actually liked playing football, but I played for 10 years and coached for 12 years just subconsciously because I wanted my father's approval. But when you live your life like that, dude, it, it, it's, it's tiring and it's hard. And it made me make really bad decisions because you feel, well, if you, you need a certain physical look so that people will like you. And then I make I'm, I'm, I, have, I have kidney issues. I had two heart problems. And now I'm, I'm I'm doing better, and I'm steering in the right direction. And all my health markers are good now. But to be honest, the way I felt growing up, and up to like just a few years ago, to be honest, could have completely destroyed my life. So now I'm trying to like steer in the right direction. But you're right. So much to unpack there, man. So there's three things that I want to drill in on is, um, you know, one, obviously how your brain chemistry determines your personality. I definitely want to go down that path. Um, I definitely specifically also want to go down what you've done to kind of reverse out this, um, 
you know, health stuff that you've, you've talked about. I also want to talk about whether or not you think that that relationship with your dad ultimately was a blessing in your life. So I have, I've developed this mindset of looking at your greatest challenges in life as your biggest opportunities. The man that I am today is because of those challenges that I had. It's because of my relationship with my dad. It's because of my relationship with my family. Right. And, and I've been able to choose consciously overcoming that. So without those struggles, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't have developed the strength that I have. So I'm curious if you, if you've ever kind of sat with the conversation with yourself of like learning to, to accept and appreciate all of those challenges uh, to allow you to ultimately become this amazing person that you are. Absolutely. And you know, I can actually pinpoint when that happened. Uh, that was some, uh, I think it was like 10 years ago. It was the last time my wife and I went to a rave party. You know about Quebec bodybuilders and rave parties, right? Oh, I was there this weekend and my Uber driver was wearing pink glasses and a bleach blonde hair. <laughs> His keychain said Liquid Molly. And I'm like, I know exactly what this guy's about to <laughs> Yeah, so, so uh, let's just say that uh, I, I overdid it on the speed side of things, right? Yeah. And you know, I didn't know it back, back then. I know it now that these... The, the speeds actually target the beta adrenergic receptors and they can become desensitized super quickly, kind of like with clenbuterol, right? I mean, if you like, spend a whole prep on clenbuterol, you stop cold turkey, you're going to be depressed as fuck. Yeah. And you burn out and you have no energy, no motivation. That's exactly how I felt, hmm. but even worse because of the dosages and the drug of choice, right? So I was, to be honest, for a whole week, I had this like out of body perception. It felt like I was watching myself for the whole week after that and i felt like total crap so i called my mother and she drove two hours to come see me and we spent like three hours together just discussing like where i come from my nature my relationship with my father and all that stuff and i was like like 240 at the time and i was just like crying like a baby in her arms right and that's actually when i started becoming really introspective about myself and trying to change things turn things around now uh, and what actually helped is that once I understood that my father actually was exactly like I was. So he, all the same issues I had, he had the same issues. But because I knew him, once he had faced and fixed those issues, I saw him as this impossible to satisfy model. Okay, But what my mother explained to me, like how he was when he was younger, when he started making money. And when he was running into financial trouble because he would not open uh, the credit card uh, check and all that stuff and, uh, and the bill. So that actually made me feel better. And I, that made me grow closer to my dad. And we talked a lot. And, we, and that actually completely changed who I was. First, it, it made me want to be a dad. Okay, hmm. Because at first, I didn't. Because I felt, you know, my, my, my father, I never lived up to his expectations. I don't want a son to have the same feeling that I had. Right. But now that I understood where he come from, how much he did to help me and help my, my brother and sisters, well, I wanted to be a dad. Then he actually showed me how someone like us need to act, need to live, to be a happy person, to become a great person. And that is becoming a person worthy of being a model, but using that situation to provide love and support to those you care about. Uh, and that's basically the way I'm trying to live my life now. I have lots of years of selfishness to make up for, uh, but I'm trying to work hard on that. So what, I think my highest value in life is being a great dad. So I spend a lot of my time and a lot of my money, to be honest, on learning uh, models, learning strategies on how to, to change my behavior or change my um, ultimately the model that I have in my, in my mind of what a dad is. So, man, I'm part of a lot of groups. I read a lot of books. If you ever want me to share that stuff, we'll, we'll share it offline. Sure. But there's so many things that like are just eye-openers for you. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that I do this. I didn't realize that this is a good way to think about it. And you being such a smart guy, like your, your kids are going to be so much different and have so many opportunities. But then, you know, you're always, I'm sure every dad out there fights this fight of like, well, I don't want to make it too easy for them, right? I kind of want them to struggle a little bit, but then learn to, to be intentional about your struggles, like how you create struggles and how you support them through struggles. I think parenting is the most interesting uh, game in life, right? It's, it's all about playing for me. It's To be honest, it's really like being a coach, like being a, a sports or like a football coach, hockey coach. It's exactly the same way because you need... Okay, the, the strongest asset a coach can have is 
having his players trust him 100% and basically like feel like he cares about them. You need a strong relationship, okay? I, I honestly believe I don't like the dictatorial type of, of coaching. I was always a player's coach, but there are limits, right? It's still a coach and athlete relationship. It's not a friend-friendly relationship. Uh, so, but you also need to be able to get the most out of your players. So it's the same thing with, with a child. You need to put them in a situation to be able to shine, to be able to find their own strength. You don't do things for them. You, you can teach them how to do them, but they need to face their own obstacles. But then again, you know what? And it's funny because I actually gave a seminar at KenFit Pro, like the wokest like, possible part of the fitness world, right? Mm-hmm. And the presentation was called Your Kid Sucks and It's Your Fault. So it had like a two-page disclaimer. It actually had a safe space in the corner of the room. In case you're offended, you just go there. But it just explained how the first three years of your life is where a lot of the brain programming, the person you can potentially be, really is programmed in those first three years. I mean, you, you will always change and evolve, of course, but like the range that you can actually achieve, your potential is largely created in those, those first three years. And that's where like most parents are absent, right? Because the dad is working when he comes home instead of you know, taking care of the kid because he's crying. You just plug in in front of the TV, right? And he stops crying. Well, why does he stop crying? Because of the blue light. The blue light and the, all the colors and all that stuff. You know, you know how blue light can can desensitize the dopamine receptors in your brain, right? So you have all those screens or those smartphones or lap, laptop, tablet screen. All of that can make you. It's such a strong dopamine stimulus that it, it will far exceed any natural dopamine stimulation you can have when you achieve a goal, for example, because that's the main purpose of dopamine. When you achieve a goal, when you achieve a task, you release dopamine pleasure response, and that makes you want to achieve something again. The more sensitive you are to dopamine or the more dopamine you can produce, the stronger the pleasure response, the more likely you are to be self-motivated. Because you know, even when you have an obstacle, well, you know what? The pleasure response at the end is worth it. Now, if you constantly bombard your brain with stimuli that will far exceed any pleasure response you can have, why the fuck would you work hard when something gets difficult? Because I can just sit in front of the TV and have the same pleasure response. So, so uh, with an adult, it's already bad, but you can actually reverse that by doing a dopamine fast. You basically stop all blue light stimulation for 10, 14 days, and your receptors will become sensitive again. But a kid, when the brain is still forming, you can actually permanently damage the dopamine receptors by overstimulating them. Then you have a generation that has no motivation, no resiliency, and just wants the easy route all the time. Relationship, as soon as like the honeymoon period is over, you know what, I'm going to go and find another girl. If I'm not a starter on my football team, fuck that, I'm going to do something else. If uh, studying, uh, studying is hard, I'm not going to study, I'm going to just drop out of school. If my job it doesn't have the amount of hours I want or the schedule I want, I'll just find another job. And that's what you have right now. People do not commit. People do not commit. People cannot sustain long-term goals because they don't have the pleasure response. And most of them, because of poor gut issues, they have low serotonin. And serotonin is what allows you to delay gratification. So now you have people who can't delay gratification. They want pleasure right now. You have a brain that's programmed to receive all those strong stimuli that just regular lifetime achievements are not enough. So you you won't be resilient either. So you have a very weak generation. And in fact, it, when you have someone who actually has done the right things, he's a unicorn and he's often ostracized because right. he makes other people feel bad, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's the popular thing right now. Yeah, one of the things that I advocate as a parent is, is giving them responsibility, right? So what a child needs to realize is like, this is, you own this. So when it gets hard, you still got to do it. When you don't want to do it, you still got to do it. And that that like overcoming the the urge to be lazy and realizing like, I got to own this. 
just I think is the way to continuously allow them Absolutely. to develop self-responsibility, self-esteem, like, oh, I'm capable of something. Mm -hmm. As soon as the brain starts to realize they're capable of something small, then they can start being capable of something big, right? So yes, dopamine, I think, is a massive player in people's pursuit of uh, excellence or of anything ultimately. And I think if you just couple that with like, hey, we're just going to have you make sure like instead of, you know, before you watch TV, which is so common in our society, you make sure you take care of your responsibilities. And, you know, so maybe in my eyes, it seems to be effective that they're, they're, they're developing the understanding that, hey, I'm in charge of these things. I'm responsible for this. Even if it's the kids three, like you say, it's like, hey, you put away your dishes or you like unload the dishwasher, like something, right? It's like something really small. They're responsible for that. That builds up their self-esteem and gives them the confidence to walk through those challenging times, right? Again, th there's so many different neurochemical uh, circumstances happening there, but I think th there's always, um, you know, different ways to approach it. Yeah, that, that's 100% accurate. And also the fact that, you know, when you, you create importance toward a task, okay? If you yourself, for example, you have to do this, this is important, you have to hone this, right? Even if it's something small, you gave it importance mm -hmm. and you are a model for the child. So automatically the child will also attribute importance to that task. Mm -hmm. And that's important because the more important something feels, the more rewarding it is when you accomplish it and the more likely you are to want to repeat it over and over and also find new tasks to complete, yeah. new challenges. So that, and Elon Musk said, and I know that that's so stereotypical, but it's really about achieving as many small goals as you want. Just create the habit of success. That's so important. Yeah. So my kids went to Hebrew school for the first three years of their lives and they learned the Hebrew traditions and it's very interesting to me to to watch how meticulous those traditions are. And I and I wonder in my brain at the time, and I'm not sure about this. My theory was that because those those the, those um, practices are so meticulous, you're literally training the children from such a young age that this has to happen at this time in this way on this day. And it's a huge responsibility because this is their religion. So this is a big, important task. I think that's developing the confidence and the belief and ultimately the ability to follow through at a very young age. I thought that was very, very fascinating. I had never been exposed to the Hebrew uh, religion before. And it was very interesting to just watch how just meticulous it was and like everything had to be done just right. And the kids were, were given that responsibility. That, that's 100% accurate. In fact, and that's the thing, right? Personality is not just brain chemicals. It, it is absolutely 100% experience. Mm -hmm. For example, I have a test that I use to evaluate someone's personality profile. And a lot of times I actually have Something like completely, like on, on paper, impossible. Like two completely opposite personalities score very high, okay? So like literally, like someone will have a very high score on two polar opposite personalities. And that happens often when you have someone coming, for example, from uh, an Asian, traditional Asian family, okay? So they were like super strict. You have like the respect of hierarchy. You have... Uh, lots of structure, responsibility, stuff like that. But that person could actually be very artistic by nature or very extroverted by nature. But now that person is a combination of her uh, programming and her true nature. Now, mm -hmm. that can actually be great or it can be bad. Because if there's an inner battle between your true self and your programmation, then you can have like inner conflicts when you have big decisions to make. But more often than not, these people actually end up being very successful because they will have the strength of both type of personalities, what they learn to be and what they can naturally become. And that you have all the weapons. So that's great. One of the most interesting things that you're known for is neurotyping. I'd love to have you just walk through what that looks like. And you're obviously tying in someone's personality with how they should be training. And I'd love to have you explain it to me because I want to hopefully understand it. Well, it, it has evolved a lot through the years, and it became more a tool of understanding a person, okay? Because, and that's probably a, a reflection of the place that training occupies in my own life. Now, I mean, I'm I still trained, obviously. I like to train, but it's not like life or death, okay? Not, not, it's not centered around training anymore. So I think it's a lot, and the, the reality is that when you work with clients, Training is not their passion most of the time. They like to train or they like the results. So it, it's a lot more valuable to understand how they function. Why are they a certain way? What will be their trigger? 
what situation will allow them to become the best version of themselves. Okay, so that that, that originated from uh, Charles's Polygon system. He was the first one to use the Braverman assessment to get a, a clue about brain chemistry and stuff like that. Now, the, the Braverman assessment does have some limitation, but still a pretty good tool. Uh, and and I, I went on from there and just added up and added up. Just because I like to understand, first of all, my own limitations. I wanted to know why I was the way I was. Why did I have self-esteem issues when I had no justification in the way I was brought up to be self-conscious? And I, I always had low self-esteem as far as I can remember. Anyway, so basically the, the, the principle is understanding our brain chemistry, the neuro, various neurotransmitters we have in our brain, uh, how they impact personality, how they impact what triggers you, how they impact what drives you, okay? So, for example, you have dopamine. I mentioned earlier, like, obviously, someone who is more dopamine dominant, so either very sensitive to dopamine or produce lots of it, will be more more easily motivated, more driven, stuff like that. You look at other neurotransmitter like glutamate, for example, which is an emotional amplifier. Someone who has excess glutamate will normally be extremely self-conscious, very moody, uh, mood swings, uh, they, they extremely emotional, uh, can get easily offended. So right from the start, like you have like the two stereotypes, you have like this, the, 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 the alpha male and you have the beta male. But but it's of, of course it's it's a it's a spectrum, but so you have a wide range of neurotransmitters and they all have a function in the brain and understanding these function allows you to know well if that person has that characteristic, it's likely or in part because this neurotransmitter system is either extremely efficient or deficient, and when you map out someone's neurological profile like that, first it allows you to make like better decision from a nutritional standpoint, for example. I, I believe that neurotyping is a lot more uh, connected with nutrition and training mm -hmm. uh, because you can actually impact neurotransmitter levels with the nutrition you have. For example, awesome, yeah. uh, well, we know that serotonin is made in the gut, so just gut health will allow you to increase serotonin. Uh, people on a low-carbs diet normally will have lower serotonin over time, but higher adrenaline, higher dopamine. So, for example, if I want to increase someone's aggressiveness or, or uh, intensity or competitiveness, I might cut carbs for a short period of time. Just that, by the way, that's why some people, when they go on a keto diet or intermittent fasting, they say, well, I have tons of energy, bro. Well, that's because your adrenaline and cortisol are through the roof. That's the reason. Okay, When you have low blood sugar, your body releases cortisol to mobilize stored glycogen, and cortisol increases adrenaline. Cortisol increases the conversion of noadrenaline to adrenaline. So cortisol and adrenaline go together. That's why when you stress, you can't sleep because adrenaline is kept high as long as cortisol is high. So the reason why when you go intermittent fasting, you have tons of fuel is because adrenaline is high. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can backfire by making you resistant to your own adrenaline, and that will lead to a burnout. So you need strategies to balance things out. Now, intermittent fasting, I do it quite often because I see benefits from a health perspective, but it can't be done if you have a stressful lifestyle because it will just lead to excess cortisol and adrenaline and it will lead to a burnout very, very quick. And, and, the, reason, and the, the best proof that nutrition impacts neurotransmitter is on a keto diet. Some people you know will report feeling absolutely awesome. Like my anxiety went down, I'm sleeping better, I'm more focused. And you have people who are the exact opposite. I feel like crap, I'm depressed, I'm aggressive, I can't sleep. It's because a keto diet will, for example, decrease glutamate and increase GABA, which is good if you have excess glutamate and low GABA, but it will also decrease serotonin. It will increase adrenaline and dopamine. So if you already have low serotonin, and if you already have high adrenaline, it will make you feel like shit. If you have very high serotonin and low adrenaline, so you're kind of a lazy person, it will actually give you more drive. So it's, it, it, that's one of the benefits of understanding your, your, your neurological profile. Training-wise, you can also make better decisions. For example, are you someone who needs to kill yourself like in a set to feel good? 
Okay, for example, you have some people who absolutely need to take a set to failure. Otherwise, they feel like they're not training. Well, you need to understand what kind of person that is because that person you'll need to lower the training volume because you can train to failure or you can not train to failure and do tons of set. Both work, okay? But you can't do both. You can't train to failure and do 30 sets per body part unless you're on massive dose of steroids and even then, okay? So understanding well, what will get that person motivated is pushing extremely hard. Well, I'm going to use lower volume. Other people like the feeling. I like to feel the pump, the burn, or feeling like I'm accomplishing something. Maybe you need more volume but lower intensity, et cetera, et cetera. That's just a very small portion because it's like a 12-hours course. But basically understanding what will motivate someone, how they respond to stress, how they can tolerate stress, and how to modulate their brain chemistry through nutrition. Yeah, so it's really just looking at like setting up your lifestyle, your training, yeah. and uh, your nutrition to optimize for brain chemistry that will be conducive to the lifestyle you're trying to design, yeah. right? We can look at light exposure, we look at training, we can look at any type of lifestyle, look at goal setting, all of those things positively impacting your neurochemistry in a way that, you know, whether or not, uh, depending on your goals, depending on your desired outcomes, will either suit you or not. So Absolutely. that's, I mean, yeah, super interesting subject. So um, one thing that comes to mind is, how much are you looking at the, this consideration around, you know, and this is an overgeneralization, but somatotyping, right? So ecto endo meso. And, you know, we can make the assumption oftentimes that someone who tends to be more endomorphic, again, a continuum and obviously a generalization, but probably and tends to be a little bit more parasympathetically dominant, right? They right. may be more, you know, depending how you want to look at it, maybe they're more GABA dominant, maybe they're more serotonin dominant. And, uh, you know, somebody who's, who's more endomorphic, so tendency to hold more muscle, hold more fat, maybe they have the ability to, to actually do more volume training yeah, versus someone who's more ectomorphic. Maybe they tend to be more sympathetically oriented. Maybe they can, they can handle less volume. So I'm curious how you kind of handle that, that continuum of, of, uh, well, there, there is definitely a connection as well as muscle fiber type uh, mm -hmm. and neurological profile, because it makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint that the software would go with the hardware, right? So, so, they are because we've been mixed and matched throughout generation and generation. They will be a spectrum. So some people will actually fit that. Like for example, what I call a type one, the type one or one A or one B would be the more uh, like intensity driven people. They are built for strength, built for power. Well, normally they will be more in a mesomorphic type body type, right? Then when you look at the type three, which is your like introvert, your uh, very extremely routine based person calculating, uh, doesn't like changes, that will be more of a ectomorph, right? Uh, more endurance based stuff like that. They like routine repetition. Uh, whereas normally though, those, uh, the endomorphs would be more what I call a type two B, which are overly emotional, which makes sense, and they are more prone to binge eating because of a higher glutamate actually increases the emotional response to food. So it makes them more easily addicted to reward by food. Uh, but they normally actually, uh, they do not only handle more volume, but they want more volume because they're all about feeling. So when you do more volume instead of very high intensity, either through heavy weights or pushing your sets, you just do more volume. Well, you get a good feeling with pump. You have the, you're sweating. You have the feeling that you are accomplishing something. You feel good about yourself. That's an instant feedback. Well, that would be more attractive to someone who, who is more emotional because it amplifies the pleasure response from the pump, from the, 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 the feeling, those muscles being swelled up and all that stuff. That's why more bodybuilders are actually like mesoandos. Even though like the pure mesomorphs would be genetically gifted to be bodybuilders, oftentimes what happens is it's a former athletes who after his career switches to bodybuilding, for example, and, and then becomes very good. But those who become uh, like really into bodybuilding first and foremost are normally more the endos or endomesos because not only do they want to be respected or admired for their physical look because of their higher emotional response, but they actually need to feel good from training. They need to feel that pump, that mind-muscle connection, all that stuff. That's interesting. Have you looked at the, the genetic implications in uh, hunger signals? So, like, I mean, hunger signals, ner uh, obviously neural uh, predispositions as far as, like, COMT and these things. And then we have, you know, some people oxidize fat better. Some people oxidize carbs better. 
some people, you know, the different regulations around hugger signals are often can be can be seen genetically. I'm curious how much you've looked at that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And other uh, other markers also, for example, methylation status or the C, the type of COMT enzyme. Yep. So, for, so, so, and that plays a big role because, for example, someone who breaks down adrenaline very easily or breaks down dopamine very easily, which would be a fast COMT enzyme, catecholomethyltransferase. Well, as long as adrenaline or dopamine is high, well, you don't feel the need to eat food. I mean, when adrenaline is high, it's pretty simple to understand, right? I'm fighting a tiger. I'm not going to get a hunger pang when I'm fighting a tiger because that's not good for survival. But you might get anxiety, right? Yeah, exactly. When you're angry. It's up too long. Yeah. yeah. So you're not hungry. And as far as dopamine, as long as it's high, you feel pleasured. So you don't need a reward. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, so someone with a slow COMT enzyme meaning that the adrenaline and dopamine lingers a long time once it's been released, they will actually have problem eating enough. They, they can go hours and hours and hours without eating or thinking about eating. They have no hunger. Whereas someone with a very fast COMT enzyme, well, they will need to eat more often or at least will feel like they need to eat a lot more often and they will get those cravings a lot more easily. See where if you look at, I, I tend to be someone who my catecholamines stay elevated, my adrenaline stays elevated. But what that turned into for me as a child was I feel stressed, I feel anxious, mm-hmm. it's lingering. I learn how to cope with it by eating. Yeah. So that was a, like a stress response as a kid. I didn't know any different. I just felt this feeling, and and you know a cookie made me feel better. So, but now looking back at it, looking at my genetics, because my COMT was poor and my adrenaline stays elevated, my catecholamines stay elevated, that's what actually led me to kind of reflexive stress eating, which is very interesting, right? As an adult, I can overcome it. What happens is, okay, and the the best way, the best supplement, quote unquote, to decrease cortisol and adrenaline, because both are connected, is carbs. Carbs is the easiest way to decrease cortisol and adrenaline. That's why, for example, people naturally crave carbs at night, okay? Because carbs will put you in parasympathetic mode. So, so when you were anxious because of the high adrenaline, subconsciously your brain wants to shut it down. Mm-hmm. So it made you crave sugar or carbs or, or foods that are high in carbs and fat and sodium because these will actually bring adrenaline back down. So that is absolutely a side effect of excessive. But in, in that case, it would be a combination of high adrenaline, but likely low serotonin. Because if someone has normal or high serotonin, it can actually counterbalance the adrenaline and right. you stay in that somewhat optimal state. But the moment you have low serotonin, you can't, and that's what anxiety is. Anxiety is nothing more than your neurons firing too fast. So you have the neurotransmitters that makes your neuron go faster, dopamine, adrenaline, glutamate, and you have the neuro and noradrenaline, and you have the neurotransmitters making the neurons go slower. Serotonin, GABA, uh, glycine, for example, acetocin. So, so it actually lowers it. So if your brain chemistry makes you anxious, it means the neurotransmitters responsible for activating or uh, have an excited reaction are much higher versus those that can calm the brain. So a strategy that your brain will ask you to do is, well, give me something to counterbalance that imbalance. Yeah. I think that's also what drove me to become a great athlete as a kid. It was like I had so much uh, you know, stress, anxiety, and I, I just used it as energy. It's like you know, the idea of like anxiety and excitement are kind of the same feeling. I just used it to, to become a great athlete. Athlete and it, you know maybe drove some anger at some points, and uh, you know drove me to be the pissed off athlete that that could kind of beat everybody at their own game because of, I was just never it just never turned off right and that was but that, that, that's became, really the difference. That's exactly the difference between excitement and anxiety. In both cases, it's just an overactivation of your brain. The difference is when I'm anxious, I'm just sitting here and I'm not doing anything. But because my brain is so fired up, it needs to do something. So if I'm not doing something physical or studying or stuff like that, my brain will create stories. It will create situation. It will. Yeah. So basically, your brain, it, you, you put it in like super high functioning mode, so it needs to do something. Now, if you did sports, that actually allowed you to use that brain power, so it didn't go to that 
creating scenarios in your brain side of things. And maybe because you almost like you went so hard, it actually allowed you to be calmer afterwards because you basically use all that brain energy. Yeah, absolutely. So man, switching gears, talking about what you did to, you know, so you're 44 and at some point recently your health wasn't awesome. And I think, you know, you probably heard a lot of bodybuilders that seem to be uh, passing away lately. And, and, and there's, there's a big movement right now to support young aspiring bodybuilders or really everyone in improving cardiac health. And I'm curious maybe what you experienced, if you don't mind sharing it and what you're doing kind of an ongoing basis to turn it around. Well, I'm trying to make a, like a long story short here. The, the, the first incident happened uh, because of my honeymoon. I went to Aruba and I got stung by this like huge mosquito that almost looked like a bird. And I, I, got, I started having symptoms of pneumonia and, and I kept training and kept training hard. And the virus actually propagated to the heart. And that led to uh, like, uh, 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 like viral my, uh, myocarditis. So basically, the, the the heart became like cellular, like cellular death of some part of the heart because of the virus. Okay, and that led to heart failure. So I was admitted to the hospital, and they put me on, on medication. And get this, and you will appreciate this. They put me on Lasix straight for ten years. Really? Yes. Oh wow! I mean, when you when you're into bodybuilding, you know, like Lasix is like the one drug that bodybuilders who take three grams a week who take growth hormone, insulin, they are scared of. It's that, that's Lasix. And I was put on that for 10 years straight, okay? So anyway, uh, just fast forward a few years after, I started having uh, bleeding stools. Like literally, it was like I, went, I was having my period every single day. And because I'm not someone who likes hospitals, I just think, well, you know what, it's, it's, it's because I'm squatting, it's going to be fine, it's going to stop, but it, that lasted three months. So at one point, I didn't have enough red blood cells to send oxygen to the heart. So I had a, I had a, I had a heart attack. And I, I was admitted to the hospital, and what they found was it was simply like the uh, amoidal vein that would blow up every time I was squatting. And back then, I was doing CrossFit, which meant I was doing squats pretty much every day or snatches or stuff like that. Uh, and then they did tests and they found that the kidneys were, were injured. So the first thing the doctor said, well, you know, you've been taking Lasix for 10 years because a new study had just co uh, came, come out that showed that Lasix is very bad and dangerous for the kidneys. So, I mean... Obviously, I have my bodybuilding days. You know what that, what that implies. I mean, steroids at one point, uh, speeds were probably not a great idea either. But the Lasix probably made everything worse. I mean, I was ripped all the time, so that's cool. But it's probably not great to be constantly dehydrated for the kidneys. Anyway, so that, that's the situation I was in. So like, cardiac damage, kidney damage. So it, I changed my nutrition. I, I reduced all the uh, like uh, inflammatory substances in my diet, trying to make it as low inflammation as possible. Um, from a training perspective, what I started to do was obviously doing more cardio because I felt well, you need to make the heart stronger. But what I found is that you know just your typical cardio might not be enough, like just walking on a treadmill. You do need to push yourself to some extent. Okay, especially when you have heart damage. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, Let, let's talk about bodybuilders who are having all these cardiac issues right now. And again, steroids and the drugs they use are not the direct cause, but they are a risk factor, or more likely they are leading to risk factors. Right. So for example, they will change lipid profile, they will increase bad cholesterol, decrease good cholesterol, meaning that the body will be better at taking fatty acids and put them inside the blood vessel and they become entrenched in that wall, creating plaque that reduces the amount of space the blood can travel to the heart. And also, if that plaque like, tears off, it can lead to a stroke. Okay, That's the first thing. Second thing, because of some of the drugs they're using and, and the amount, blood gets a lot thicker. Okay. That blood gets a lot thicker. Now you have blood that it's thicker and arteries that are smaller. So the heart must push extremely hard to get that blood through, right? It's like trying to push ketchup through a straw. So, so the heart, because it works harder, it leads to a cardiac hypertrophy. 
Okay, so the heart becomes thicker. Now that also happens in endurance athletes, but here's the difference, and that's why I think conditioning work is important for health and even for bodybuilders, especially in the off season. They should do hard cardio at least once a week. The reason is okay. Of course, endurance athletes will get a bigger heart because it's working harder. The main difference is because of the intensity of the cardiovascular work they're doing, the blood is pushed extremely hard toward the muscles, and it comes back really fast because it needs to beat faster and large quantity to send all that oxygen to the muscle. So the blood actually comes back really fast, and that when that blood rushes inside the heart, it stretches the heart, okay? Uh, and that actually helps push the blood faster and harder because it's a stretch reflex. It's like a bow and arrow. The more I can stretch the, 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 the bow, the, the, the faster the arrow will come out. Same thing with blood. The more I can stretch the heart, the easier the blood come out. So it's instead of using muscular contraction, I'm using stretch reflex. So the heart, it's much more economical. Okay, But because of the fast venous return that stretches the heart, even though the heart gets bigger in an endurance athlete, it becomes more extensible. In bodybuilders, if they don't do any form of conditioning work, the hypertrophy of the heart occurs because it has to push extra hard to get that thick blood to the limited blood vessels, and the anabolics are anabolic to the heart also. So you get an hypertrophy, but without the stretch stimulus. So the heart becomes thick, but rigid. So now it's very hard to expand. So instead of being able to rely on stretch reflex to push more blood, you need to rely more on muscle contraction. And because you cannot expand the heart, you cannot send as much blood with each contraction. So you need faster contraction, faster contraction, more contraction. So now the, And that actually is a vicious cycle because the heart has to contract harder and faster it becomes bigger and bigger and thicker and thicker and more rigid and more rigid. And just doing like low-intensity cardio at, at, at talking speed that you can have a conversation is not going to lead to the fast venous return that will expand the heart. <clears throat> that's why in like, higher intensity, that's why like intervals are actually very good for a bodybuilder to try to regain that extensibility of the heart wall. And to me, that is extremely important. That's really the most important thing that a bodybuilder can do to at least mitigate the potential danger of, of steroid use. Of course, you have like strategies like giving blood to try to make the blood thinner. You have uh, several supplements like I like um, uh, serapeptase, serapeptase and natokinase that can actually break down that plaque inside the blood vessel. So that's, I always take that. Uh, aspirin can help. You have tons of good product that can actually help lower blood pressure, uh, increase uh, vasodilatation that can actually make your blood vessel bigger and the heart function faster. But basically what you want is really, it's not just about like the lungs and getting some cardio done. You need to work hard enough that the venous return is fast and you have to send lots of blood at one time so that you're forced to stretch the heart. Now, I'm not going to lie. At first, it's going to suck. Because you do not have that capacity to stretch the heart, okay? Right. But over time, it gets better. Love it, man. So much value in that. So as far as like kidney health, um, what are you doing now to ensure that ongoing? Because you hear, you hear a lot of things in bodybuilders. Obviously, we know it's predominantly due with blood pressure and dehydration. But do you have any best practices every day for people out there who maybe are concerned with um, kidney health? Well, if we're talking about just general population, I think that reducing inflammation as, pos as much as possible is best. Uh, so I avoid grains. Uh, so I, you uh, said that specifically. What what you said you eliminated all the inflammatory foods in your diet. Let's walk through what that looks like. What what do you eat instead of what you don't eat? Well, it, it, it's more about. I'm, I'm I'm not excessive in that regard. I was at first, but I found that I can get the same result just by like reducing the obvious culprit, like anything that has too much omega six fatty acids, uh, decreasing grains as much as. In fact, I don't have any grains anymore. Uh, very, they are very pro-inflammatory. Uh, in fact, it's funny because uh, they, they found that a vegan diet can actually be more inflammatory yep. than more of a carnivore-type diet or omnivore-type diet because all the bread and all the grains are adding. So personally, my diet is very high. My carbs come mostly from fruits, lots of blueberries. Blueberries are literally like the magic fruit. 
Man, I think my feet, my teeth are turning blue because I ate so many blueberries. <laughs> Dude, I, 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 I buy like, I'm, I'm probably having like a pound of blueberry every single day. It's just, <laughs> it's too, literally like, it's the best fruit you can have for your overall health yep. by far. But any berries is pretty good. I like blackberries. I have, so basically every day I, I will have like uh, those two big box boxes of uh, of blueberries, one of raspberries, and one of blackberry. So all my carbs come mostly from berries. Uh, I, I like pineapple uh, because the bromelain is anti-inflammatory. So post workout, that's, I, I like to have uh, a mix of honey and Pineapple post workout, you know. I, I I'm not saying I'm not against using powders, but I'm at a point I don't necessarily want to maximize growth or anything. I just want to be healthier and enjoy life. So I have I like to have more tasty foods in my diet. Yeah. Uh, so that and I reduce the amount of, of red meat I have. I don't eliminate it, uh, eliminate it completely because it has benefits, but it, it's more fish. Uh, it's more uh, some poultry. But the, the quantities are much, much lower for that, for sure. And even my protein is much lower than it was. Uh, yeah. well, I how much? Because you hear, you hear different theories, right? You say as we age, we obviously know we, know we need more protein to, to retain muscle. But I'm curious how much you do. Well, it's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm like 210, 25 right now. Uh, so it's, it's probably something like 170, 180. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, that you don't need, I mean, this science, it's like 0 0.9 grams per pound is enough. Okay, yeah. uh, so, so that that's one big difference I made, and that made a big difference. Uh, of course, uh, supplement wise, I use fish oil. The best supplement for kidney, well, the best. You have many good, like astragalus is pretty good, uh, but I, I really like, and for, as far as basic supplements are concerned, um, I, I really like uh, curcumin, and mm -hmm. you can use very high doses, and it's been shown to be really effective at reducing. What, what type uh, of dose? Uh, the highest dose I've used is nine grams a day. Holy wow. So well, I do. I, I get it for food. Pardon? Three grams three times a day? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but I, I've seen that uh, six grams is enough to get like almost all the benefits from a kidney protection standpoint. Uh, and one thing I've always done and that I started doing as soon as I had kidney damage, I read like a 500-page book on that topic, is uh, baking soda. Hmm. So, uh, so just, just two spoons of baking sodas a day. It doesn't taste that great, but, but it, it is extremely good for the kidneys. Uh, because the, the thing is that when your blood is too acidic, the kidneys will actually release uh, baking soda to, to, to alkalize it. Right. So if you actually have baking soda in your, in your diet, the kidneys don't have to give its own, so it, it's less stressful. It's yeah. more complicated than that, but that's the, that the short version. So, uh, for people on a ketogenic diet, that's very highly recommended, right? Anyone taking exogenous ketones yeah. or a ketogenic diet, sodium bicarbonate. And if you just take Alka-Seltzer, Alka-Seltzer Plus, it's loaded with great, it's basically sodium bicarbonate, kind of tastes good. So that's yeah. something I've done for a long time as well. Even even around training for people close to a contest, uh, if we're, you know, people tend to, to uh, start spilling ammonia, and apparently the, the bicarb really sort of helps to bring down the ammonia as well. Yeah, and it also is probably the best lactic acid buffer when training. Yeah. So it, for the style of training I'm doing, which is more in that lactate zone now, it actually allows me to reduce the overall stress of the workout because if you produce less lactic acid, then it, the nervous system doesn't have to work as hard to activate the muscles. Right. And it allows me to do a greater amount of reps per set. That's awesome. And recover faster. So it's, it's a good product for that. Yeah. So, any other key supplements that you like to use to extend health? What are your uh, peptides? I know you're like we're kind yeah, of all... the, the one I've actually I've used uh, BPC one five seven as soon as I had like the, the kidney damage diagnostic, and that's actually a true story. And I'm not sure if it's on hundred percent with the one five seven. Like I have three months between blood tests, right? So. I, I did like a, an intensive course of three months on BPC-157 between my first blood test and the second. And in the second, the, the doctor freaked out. So like you almost have no signs of kidney damage. I'm not saying the kidney damage is not there, but kidney function is normal. Right. And when you think about it, like BPC-157, originally it was designed to fix liver issues. So it actually works pretty well to fix internal organs. We know how effective it is to fix the, fix the gut. 
So, so it, it is a very effective product, in it, and I've seen from the blood work that it actually works. Yeah. Our friend uh, Jean-Francois from CanLab yeah. is, uh, is a great resource for that stuff. Yeah, that, that, that's where I'm getting from. Yeah, yeah he's, been a, he's been a great guest in the show twice, and uh, just give him a shout-out so he can benefit. Because BPC, I don't think he's got oral BPC, but he got the injectable, and oral BPC also exists as well. I don't know if you've ever tried that for the gut health. It's been... It's been instrumental. I don't even. I always have at least one bottle on hand. It's very expensive, as you know, but uh, super useful. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And even just from a muscle tear perspective, I once I was like getting back. I wanted to get back into Olympic weightlifting, and because I'm excessive, I was squatting pretty much every day and getting pretty heavy. I, I tore my vastus lateralis, and uh, the the physical therapist said, "Well, it's going to be six weeks until you can." like do stuff with your legs and at least three months until you can squat again. Right. Well, within five days, I was doing power snatches and a week I was squatting. Yeah. But what well, BPC, I mean, so I've seen some interesting studies around like how quickly that stuff accelerates growth. It's almost like ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly believe that it made a big difference in my kidneys. Other thing that you can, can, can be useful and it can actually be useful for, for health prevention overall is uh, like a low dose sialis. Yeah, yeah, five like five milligram pills now, and it just it opens up the blood vessels, yeah. which will reduce blood pressure. And that actually has been studying right now for reducing kidney damage or s- slowing down kidney damage. Yeah. Are you, are you part of that email thread with Dr. Serrano? That, that's the, so there's an email thread with Dr. Serrano, and there's like a couple hundred guys in there. He's, he's always setting up research, and that was one that goes around often. Is like get every bodybuilder on five milligrams of Cialis and, sure. and just like every day just to improve heart health. Well, especially considering that the, the thicker blood side of things, right? I mean, of course, ideally, you would reduce that blood thickness or and viscosity. And that's another thing, by the way. Cardiovascular exercise will reduce the viscosity of the blood. So, so, so that's another benefit. So I'm, I'm not saying to turn into a marathon runner, but if you look at my own training, for example, like every workout I start with, steady-state cardio, and I, I know that people will say, well, you know, it's interference. If you do cardio, it's going to hurt with muscle growth. Well, maybe even if it's like 5% less, I don't fucking care right now. Okay. I just want to be healthier and I want to throw that in. And one strategy that is super easy to apply, and I started using my own training, is my, my rest periods are active. So I walk on a treadmill for two minutes instead of just sitting there. Yeah. So if, you, if you're doing 40, uh, 20 sets, well, it's 40 minutes without even noticing it. And because, you know, right after you do a set, then you come back to cardio, set cardio, and I do lots of superset and, and circuit, your blood, uh, your, your, your heart rate stays at like 130, 140 for the duration of the workout. Yep. And that will actually help you with that venous return. I advocate that for everybody. If, if you, there's no sitting around. If you're not doing abdominals, you're doing glute bridges, something that creates stability around the trunk and spine. If you're not doing that, you're moving, you're stretching, mobility, activation. Right. Should be something. I mean, efficiency is everything for sure. Um, uh, where was I going? Oh, as far as mobility work, are you big on mobility now? Or are you? Just like, uh, I've always been big on loaded stretching. I mean, yeah. I, I know Dante Trudel has also like been a big proponent of that. I actually didn't learn that from him. I learned it from uh, Jay Schroeder, who's a, a guy who works worked with football players and hockey players. He was really popular like for five minutes, 20 years ago, when one of his guys, Adam Archuleta, like, was drafted in the NFL just because he yeah. was a workout freak. And like literally half of the training volume he was doing was loaded stretching. So for example, holding a split squat position with weight for two minutes, you're holding the bottom position of a push-up for, for two minutes, stuff like that. And I started using that with athletes I was working with. And what happened is not only did it improve range of motion extremely fast, much faster than any stretching I've done, it actually seemed to lead to hypertrophy. Because when you think about it, it's still muscle tension. Even though you're not really moving. It's still going to fire, right? They're not, they're not just, yeah. Exactly. And because what happens is you have a contr- uh, the muscle contraction as well as the stretching are two things that lead to, uh, that prevents blood flow from getting inside a muscle. So stretching prevents blood from getting in the muscle. Muscle contraction also prevents it by compressing the capillaries. So when you hold that loaded stretch position against a load, what happens is blood cannot come in, but that increases the release of IGF-1 inside that muscle because it builds up lactic acid, increases growth hormone, increases mechanical growth factor, IGF-1. So that gives you a stimulus to, to trigger hypertrophy, not to mention that 
the original studies on loaded stretching shown that it increases the sensitivity of the IGF-1 receptors. So you actually make your muscle more receptive to, to grow. So I, that's a huge part of my own training. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, probably not 50, 50%, but I'm using, uh, especially like starting two years ago, I was getting back into golf. So I want to regain it mobility, shoulder mobility, and I was doing tons and tons and tons of loaded stretching. And even today, I keep at least two or three loaded stretching exercises per day. That's awesome. So two things to say, like 2014, I created a program based around loaded stretching. It was a massive success. Everyone was putting on so much muscle based on these principles. Yeah. So that was one thing that comes to mind for me as far as its benefits, and you'll get this, what governs muscle contraction? Stability governs contraction. And by spending time at those extremes of the range, particularly the lengthen aspect, you're also co-contracting the antagonist. So that, that adds exactly. the benefit of increasing stability, which drives up strength and contractibility of the muscle. So exactly. there's so many benefits to doing that stuff. Yeah, and also just getting back onto that also stability point is that you are training your nervous system to activate the muscle in its weakest position. Mm -hmm. When the muscle is lengthened, normally because the, 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 the actin and myosin are so far apart, it's hard to produce tension. But you are training, and, and normally the, what happens is your body learns to rely on the stretch reflex in that lengthened position. But now you can reprogram your brain to use muscle contraction, and that's a great injury prevention method. Yep. Now, so, and, and actually what you mentioned, and that's the key part of loaded stretching, is that not only are you like stretching against the weight, you, use, you have to use the antagonist to pull with gravity to increase the resistance. So if I'm stretching with a dumbbell fly, for example, I'm actually pulling down with my back to trying to stretch even more. And that's a huge part of it, not just from a stretching standpoint, but as you mentioned, to create that uh, active stability. And, and for example, and just like changing topic, but you know that active stability is what will allow you to maintain your strength as you're losing weight, losing body fat, because we've all been there, right? We diet down and strength goes down, especially in pressing movements, bench press, overhead press, stuff like that. Because the shoulder joint, when you're losing fat, you're losing water, you're losing glycogen, that joint is less packed than it is when you're fully bloated up, right? And that bloat up, that, that amount of tissue around the joint creates pressure on that joint, which creates passive stability, okay? So as you're getting leaner and leaner and leaner, even, even if you're only losing water, fat, and glycogen, zero muscle loss, you can still get weaker because you're less and less stable. But if you trained active stability, that can compensate for the passive stability you're losing. So that, that so for example, people should not freak out. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen that all the time, right? You go on a diet for a show or just to get leaner. And for example, every pack, triceps, delt, isolation exercises are just as strong, yet your bench press is down 40 pounds. That's because of that decrease in shoulder passive stability. And if you've never trained the active stability, then you're going to lose lots of strength. And that will, uh, that will prevent you from overloading the muscles as much as you would if you had that stability. Amazing. Chris, where, where do people find more from you, buddy? Where do they get in touch with you? Do you got a book coming out? What's going on? I do have a book coming out, but I don't know exactly when because it's uh, well, it's 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 been written. Now it's in the hands of uh, human kinetics, so the whole editing process is much longer than when you self-publish. So uh, we're shooting for uh, around an April release time. Uh, in the meantime, of course, I have tibarmi.com and also articles on on tnation.com and from for Instagram, you just have to type tibarmi. You're going to find me. Amazing, man! So great to have you, buddy. Always an absolute pleasure. I'm going to get you back on here sooner rather than later. Awesome, man. All right. Thanks. That's a wrap, ladies and gents. Thank you so much for joining me here today on the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. We are searching the world every day to bring incredible guests, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I feel absolutely blessed every day to be able to converse with these incredibly brilliant people. If you guys enjoy the podcast and you want to support the podcast, you want these conversations to continue, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe on YouTube. That's how we support this podcast, by ultimately getting sponsors and supporting our sponsors. And the more subscriptions we get, the more shout-outs we get, the more notoriety we build around the world. We can bring in better guests to ultimately support you, to support me in living our greatest life in the body we love. Thank you very much for Christian Thibodeau for providing his time. And thank you very much, Real Mushrooms, to supporting the podcast, allowing us to bring this podcast to you guys. If you're not already supporting Real Mushrooms, Head over there right now, pick something up, and they're an amazing company that absolutely loves to support us. 
and love to, love to support you. Let's do the same or support them. Return realmushrooms.com slash Ben to get hooked up with 30% off all the best quality mushrooms that I can source anywhere in the world. Have an amazing day. Live your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.